Greetings, brethren. Welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles 2022. And we're closer to the kingdom than we ever have been. And it's an amazing thing, isn't it? This is why God has his feast every year, so that we can keep our minds focused on what we're doing, where we're going, what God is doing, what he has planned, and how we fit into that. And that's going to really be something. You know, because it says that the eye has not seen nor the ear heard what the Lord has planned for those who love him. And it's an amazing thing. Okay. So let's begin by going to Leviticus 23, where we start off every holy day, because this is where they are all listed in order according to the timing of the calculated Hebrew calendar for us to keep them. So let's come to verse 34, Leviticus 23. Now when you look at it, these are the longest commands of all the feasts, right here. Okay, so... Just like we need to understand the word of God and study it and restudy it and restudy it, we're going to read everything here about the Feast of Tabernacles. And then we're going to understand from the rest of the Bible how God is going to do it and how we fit into it. Because what God has for us is absolutely amazing and breathtaking and so fantastic that we cannot appreciate it until we're really a spirit being. Now we can get a glimpse of it and like Paul has written, we're looking through a glass darkly. So here we are, Leviticus 23, verse 34. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. First day shall be a holy convocation, and you shall do no servile work. Seven days you shall offer offerings made by fire to the Lord, and on the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation. So right at the end of it, God adds the most important day of all. But the least mentioned in the Bible. Now that's amazing of itself, isn't it, huh? Okay. Now let's come down here to verse 37. These are the feasts of the Lord which you shall go proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sacrifice, and drink offerings, 
everything on its day. Well, since we don't have the tabernacle and we don't offer animal sacrifices or the other sacrifices, we take up an offering. Okay? Now we know in Deuteronomy 16, it tells us that we are to keep these three feasts. All the males are to come. Lots of times people wonder, well, why just the males? Well, there's a lot that can happen where then the women are not able to come. Number one, childbirth. Number two, caring for those who are sick and unable to go. All right? So those are the two main things. Deuteronomy 16 and verse 16. Three times in a year shall all your males appear before the Lord your God in a place which he shall choose. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in the Feast of Weeks, in the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before me empty. Okay. Now then, all of these things are for our benefit. See? So we can learn, number one, to love God. Number two, to serve God. Number three, to love the brethren. And number four, to serve the brethren. And number five, to look forward to the fulfillment of this in our life when Christ returns. All right? Now notice this, verse 17. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. Okay? And so whatever your blessing is, you look back and see the blessings that God has given you, and you consider that in your offerings. So at this time, we'll pause and we'll take up an offering. Okay, thank you very much for the offering that you have given. And as you know, we will always put it to use for what is what we do for serving the brethren, for preaching the gospel, for doing the things that we need to do. And because of all the offerings down through the years and tithes that brethren have given, it's all been put to a good use. And we have more booklets and books and things to study of the Bible than any other church of God. Now, this is not to put ourselves forward and to make ourselves exalted above them. No, we wish them the best. We pray for all of them and pray for their brethren as well because we all are going to be in the kingdom of God. However, we have had the time and we use the funds for the things that are necessary to get everything out to the brethren. And that's what's important. Now back to Leviticus 23. Okay. Verse 38. Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord. Now notice, that is plural. And besides your gifts, and besides your vows, and besides your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord... Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you are, have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast of the Lord seven days. 
So now he repeats it. This is the only feast that is repeated. Okay? On the first day you shall have a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. Well, that's something. And you shall take the boughs of beautiful trees for yourselves, and the first branches of the palm tree, and the boughs of thick oaks and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Now, why did he have him take these branches? Well, one Feast of Tabernacles when we were up at Twain Harp. We decided this. We're going to bring in a few branches, and we're going to keep them here. And we're going to see every day what's happening to them. Because, you see, there's a lesson that Jesus taught in John, the 15th chapter. He is the vine, and we are the branches, and we must be attached to him. All right? Now then, if you're not attached to him, what happens? Well, every day, it dries up a little bit more. And then at the end of eight days, they're nearly dead. So the whole lesson is, the whole way of God is to bring us life. And anything less than that is not going to work. Verse 41, And you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall keep it in the seventh month. And you shall dwell in booths seven days. Well, now, we don't have booths to dwell in seven days right now. But remember this. Wherever you are, that dwelling is temporary. Because when Christ returns, everything's going to be new. And... When the whole plan of God is finished, what's going to happen to the earth? He's going to take the lake of fire, and as we'll see, first the wicked go into it, and then it consumes everything on the earth, and even does away with the sea. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but the whole point is, Everything physical now is temporary. And so this is the one of the things we are to learn. Life is temporary. So that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared the appointed feast of the Lord to Israel. Now, compare that. Go back to verse 1. Okay. Verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them concerning the appointed feast of the Lord. Now, 
These are appointed times by God for us to come before him. Okay? So we can learn of his way and learn of his truth. And you shall proclaim them to be holy convocations. And we do all the feast, even the Sabbath. These are my appointed times. Now, let's understand something very important here with everything that we do. When God sets the appointment, we are to come. And the first appointed feast is what? The Sabbath. The weekly Sabbath. God does something special in all of his feasts. He puts his spiritual presence there so that we can draw close to God, draw close to each other, and learn of God's way. Now, in all of this, what is it going to, what is it going to do? What did the Apostle Peter say about the time ahead of us and what God is going to do? Okay. So let's pick it up here in Acts, the third chapter. Okay, let's come to Acts 3 and verse 12. This is after they healed the man. Okay, now let's understand something else. Everything that we have comes from God. There is nothing that you can show or any man can show that he made it without using something that God made. Huh? Now here in the healing of the man, verse 12, and when Peter saw it, that is all the people coming because they healed the man, he answered to the people, Men, Israelite, why are you wondering at this? And why are you looking upon us so intently as if by our own power or goodness we have made him to walk? See? Good lesson for all of us elders. When we anoint people, it's God who does the healing. See? Here, Peter said, no, it's not from us. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate. Yes, after he had judged to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and requested that a man who was a murderer be granted to you. Now it shows something else. Human nature can never choose what is right of and by itself. And if you don't believe that, look at the world today. And you have killed the author of life. So he's telling them, Jesus was God manifested in the flesh, whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now that's something. And this is the hope that we have pictured by Pentecost, being raised from the dead. And then... Feast of Tabernacles tells us what we're going to be doing after we're spirit beings. Okay? 
And through faith in his name, this man whom you see and know was made strong in his name and the faith that is through him gave this complete soundness to him in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I realize that you acted in ignorance and as did your rulers also. But what God had before announced by the mouth of his all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he has accordingly fulfilled. Therefore, now listen, this is something true for every day that we live. Because you read the model prayer and it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. See? So repentance is a daily thing. And you'll come to understand that more as you come to understand how deceitful and evil your own human mind is. And especially in this wicked world today. Therefore, repent and be converted in order that your sins may be blotted out in the times of refreshing, that the times of the refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send him who was before proclaimed to you, Jesus Christ, whom the heavens, now here's the key, right here, whom the heaven must indeed receive until the times of restoration of all things. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles pictures. The restoration of all things. Everything on the planet, all human beings, the heavens around us, okay, of which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Okay? Now that's quite a thing, isn't it? So we need to realize what these things are. Now, let's see a prophecy we've covered before, but we need to cover it here now. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Let's pick it up. And it also is a good lesson on how God has put things together that just by reading them, they are not in a chronological sequence in which they will occur, but you have to have the chronological sequence pattern of the Sabbath and holy days so you can put all of the different things and prophecies of God in a proper perspective. So verse 6, For unto us a son is born. Who would have ever thought that God would have done what he did? Huh? Remember, Jesus was God before he came in the flesh. But we know what he did. Philippians 2 reduced himself to a pinpoint of life to be begotten in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Right? Okay. But of the Jews, who among them, and they still don't believe it, many of them to this day, that God would actually do that. They'd be born as a baby, grow up 
as man. Okay. A child is born, unto us a son is given, and a government shall be upon his shoulders. Now, that's the government of God on the earth. And then later, when it expands out to the universe, there's God the Father and Jesus Christ. Right? And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. You don't call a physical man Mighty God. Well, some men have thought that that's what they were, but you know what happened to them. The Everlasting Father. Now, interesting sidebar on this. It is during the time of the fulfilling of the 1,000 years, which the Feast of Tabernacles pictures, that all of those coming into the kingdom of God to become spirit beings come through Jesus Christ and the saints. Okay? So, that's when Jesus becomes an everlasting father. Now, we have come in to the situation with God the Father. And then Jesus will be a father. Okay. And of the increase of his government and peace, mark that down, there shall be no end, and upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and with righteousness from henceforth even forever. Now, notice this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's why we need to understand how true the word of God really is. He will do it. Okay? Now let's come, since we're here in Isaiah, let's come to Isaiah 33. Let's pick it up here in verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Terror has seized the ungodly. Who among us shall dwell with a devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Now, that means that as spirit beings, we can be right there, and that will not harm us at all. See? Because we look at the sea of glass, and it looks like sometimes it has fire on it. Okay? Now then. So who's going to do it? He who walks uprightly and speaks uprightly and despises the gain of oppression and shakes his hand free from holding bribes and stops his ear from the hearing of blood and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. He shall dwell on high. Now that's quite a thing to understand. His refuge shall be the strongholds of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His winepress 
Yes, his waters shall be sure. Okay. Now, take this spiritually. Water, type the Holy Spirit. And bread is the word of God. So we're going to feed on the word of God and grow in knowledge forever. Now that is an amazing thing to comprehend. Okay? Now notice it. Your eyes shall see the king in his beauty, both Christ and the Father. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Actually, that's the new heaven and new earth. Your heart shall muse on the terror. Look back at it and see and say, where is the scribe? Where is the one who is weighed? Where is the one who counted the towers? You shall no longer see a fierce people, a people of deep speech that you cannot understand of a foreign tongue that no one understands. Okay? Look unto Zion, the city of the holy gathering. That's where we will be. Your eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down, nor of its stake shall ever be removed, nor any of its cords shall be broken. But there the glorious Lord will be to us a place of broad rivers and streams in which no galley with oars shall go, nor shall a mighty ship pass by it. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our, our king, he will save us. Now, that's quite a salutation to God and what he's going to do. Since we're here in, in the book of Isaiah, let's go ahead and look and see what he tells us who's going to be there. See? And what we need to do. So let's come to Psalm 15. Now this is a very encouraging psalm. And this tells us why. What we do in loving God and keeping his commandments and everything about it is worth it all. Even though we may have trials and troubles as we go along. And we have the trials and troubles as we go along. For what purpose? To see if we're going to believe God. To see if we're going to trust God. Or to see if we're going to do it our own way. Okay? Psalm 15. Lord. Okay? Who shall dwell in your tabernacle? It's the Feast of Tabernacles, right? Yes. Who should dwell upon your holy hill? The answer, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Now, that means it's in your heart and in your mind. See? And that's the whole purpose, see? 
to get the truth of God in our minds, that we think that way, we reason that way, we understand that way, okay? Verse 3, Who does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change it. Now, that's an important part we all need to understand, which is this. If you pray and you tell God you're going to do thus and such, you better do it. See? One good example. People who have been addicted or drunkards or take any drugs. Those who have been addicted. Have, you been, have anybody been addicted to cocaine? Amphetamines, heroin, whatever. When you tell God, I'm never going to touch it again, you better keep your word. Or whatever thing it may be, you better keep your word because God is going to hold you accountable for it. Okay? Verse 5, he who has not put his money out at usury, nor has he taken a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. Okay? Now, let's see what God is going to do. We know one of the worst things possible is war. But we're told in Isaiah 59 that today there is no peace. There's no peace in the world because there's war. There's no peace between people because they're fighting and oppressing each other. Okay? But that peace has to come from God. So let's come to Psalm 46. Okay? Let's see what God is going to do. This is quite a thing. Psalm 46. Let's make it right up here in verse 1. So we see how everything's going to flow together here. God is our strong refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So as we go through this life, we're going to have trouble, but God will be there to help us. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Now, if you ever saw an earthquake that powerful and lived through it, you would know this is true. Though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains shake with swelling of it, see law. There is a river whose streams make the city of God rejoice. 
the dwelling place of the Most High. See, because out of Zion is going to flow pure water to the east and to the west and heal the whole world. Okay? God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her at the approach of the morning. The nations raged. The kingdoms were shaken. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. That's showing the return of Christ and bringing all wars to an end. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob, our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord who makes desolations upon the earth. He has to do that to get rid of everything that men have done. And then, in the millennium, first thing off, lots of work. Got to repair everything. All right? But notice verse 9. This is going to be something. Who makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Okay. Now that's going to be one of the biggest things we're going to do. Think of how much money and resources and manpower and labor and factories and everything like this that go into war making, destruction making. Huh? It's an amazing thing. I wonder how many, I don't know who, who could ever count it, but I wonder how many artillery shells of all sizes have been made and used in wars since they invented cannons, small and large, which could fire them. Now, just to give you one little example of today, for the war in the Ukraine, Guess how many artillery shells that the United States has sent to the Ukraine? Along with all of the artillery hardware to fire them. Now, just the shells. 400,000 artillery shells. Huh. That's breathtaking, isn't it? Think about how many bombs, artillery shells, machine gun shells, hand grenades, bazookas, rockets were in World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War. Huh? And we're talking about what? And in the Iraq wars. Just those. We're not talking about anything going past, backward from that. Think of all the money. There wouldn't be a poor person around if that money had not been used to make all those weapons. So he makes wars to cease. Okay? Now then. Let's come to Psalm 37 and let's see something else. Because if there's going to be a restoration of all things, 
All of those have to be gotten rid of. All right? Psalm 37. Okay? This is quite a psalm. Let me just suggest to you that when you get a little depressed and you get a little down and, and you think, oh, woe is me, read Psalm 37 because it tells you all the way through there that the righteous shall inherit the earth. And that's what Jesus promised, didn't he? In Matthew, the fifth chapter? Yes. Okay. Now, verse 11. Okay. Now, let's just back up to verse 9. Isaiah 37 and verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Now, right here in the meeting hall, we got a nice big globe. And most of it is a dark, dark blue because there's water all over the earth, more than land. That's quite a thing. Inherit the earth. All right? It is but a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Yea, you shall diligently consider his place, but he shall not be there. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Okay? That's quite a thing. Now, you read on further, and there are several other places it says the same thing. And shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace, because Christ is the prince of peace. And there will be peace, and there will be prosperity, and there will be calmness, and there will be love, and there will be correction of those who are evil. We'll talk about how that's going to work a little later on. But it's going to be something. Picture this. The whole world keeping the Sabbath and Passover and unleavened bread and Pentecost and trumpets and atonement, feast of tabernacle, all for the glory of God, and all for the blessings that God will pour out upon all people. Think of that. It's not going to be like it is today. Huh. I feel sorry for those of you who, who live in some of these more dangerous cities. But it shows you one thing for sure is true. Okay? When Satan rules, everything is evil. That's what we're seeing. So that will be gone, okay? Let's pick it up here from in verse 28 now. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Because there will be proper justice. You know what the best constitution of governing people is? 
the Bible. The Word of God. Not the U.S. Constitution, okay? The righteous shall inherit the earth and dwell in it forever. There it is again. All right? Also go up to verse 22. For those blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and the cursed of him shall be cut off. See, all of those things are right there. That's why we need to go over these things to know them and to learn them so that we know that the blessings and promises of God are sure and they are coming. Okay? Verse 32. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to kill him. No, they won't be able to do that during the millennium. If anyone has murder in his heart, he's going to be told, uh, 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 uh. And if they get out of the way, we're going to tell them, here is the way, walk in it. And if they sin, they'll be given an opportunity to repent. And if they need to really dig down in and get their life straightened around, they need to go for a special place where they can study and pray and draw close to God and repent. See? There won't be any jails. All right? Verse 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the earth. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. My. My, my, my. Okay? Come over here to verse 39. See? Now that's why I said when you're feeling down or depressed, read this psalm and other psalms too. Okay? Verse 39. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. And he is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord will help them and deliver them. Claim this promise. Anytime you have a difficulty, turn right here and claim this promise. Now, don't come in presumptuous attitude to God. Come to God and say, Oh, Lord God Almighty, how righteous are you? How merciful are you? This is a time of trouble. You promised that you would help us in time of trouble. Help us, oh, Lord, you know, and if you're really down to the very last nubs, see, then you have to pray and say, Oh, Lord, heal my soul. And that's why God lets people come to those places. All right? He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because... They take refuge in him. Let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll be back in 15 minutes. Okay, welcome back from the break. Now we'll continue on on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and let's come to Isaiah 30, and let's see how we are going to operate in teaching the people and the brethren at that time. 
Let's come to Isaiah 30 and verse 18. Okay. Now, all during that time, people are going to be having children. And think about this. As we just covered, no more wars. Causes wars to cease. Okay. Think of what it's going to be like. And for childbearing, no more sorrow. Huh. Yes. Verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious to you. In other words, God is going to fulfill his will at his time for you. And therefore, he will be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Okay. Well, that's quite a thing. You always wait on God, you'll be blessed. That's what's going to happen during the millennium. Everybody's going to believe God and wait on God. Okay? Notice. Verse 19. For, O people who dwell in Zion at Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He shall be very gracious to you. At the voice of your cry, when he hears it, he will answer you. We'll be the ones to carry out the answer. Okay, And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the waters of affliction, yes, there will be difficulties that will come along. I don't know exactly how severe they will be. But in order to prove anyone's faith, you have to have some kind of adversity where you must trust in the Lord. And you must overcome the sin that is within so that you love God and continue in his way. Okay? Now it says here, verse 20, yet your teachers shall not be removed into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. Isn't that going to be something? Now, we can appear and disappear. Woo! <laughs> Think about how that's going to be. From our point of view in helping them, and their point of view in knowing that they can't get away with sin. See? Now, that's why we have to be perfect. Okay? Verse 21, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. Okay? That's going to be quite a something, isn't it, huh? Think how many crimes could be stopped today if we had that kind of of government. Well, you can't have that kind of government with just people because it becomes oppressive. You have to have it 
with the sons and daughters of God who have been perfected, who have righteous judgment, who have love, who have understanding, who know how to do these things the right way that they should be done so that there will be peace all during the millennium. Okay? Now let's come to Ezekiel 36. Because if we're going to restore all things, the first thing that God has to do, first thing that God is asked to do is bring human nature back to where it was before Adam and Eve had sinned. See? Because human nature that Paul calls the law of sin and death is what happened to the nature of Adam and Eve after they sinned. Now, you think about Adam and Eve, created by God, talked to God, saw God. Now, obviously not in his glory, because no one can see God in his glory and live. So when they were talking to God, he was more in the form of a man. And so when the serpent said, if you eat of this fruit, you'll become like God to decide for yourself. Good and evil. You know, we don't know what other words he may have said. He may have said, look, you're smart. You're intelligent. You have ability. Now, you want to become more wise? You want to become like God? So you decide what is right and wrong. You can eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I know that God said that you shouldn't eat of it lest you die. But I tell you, you're not going to die. So they took it. All right, Ezekiel 36, verse 21. But I had pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they were exiled. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord. Now there's going to come a time when all the difficulties are going to end. And that's what the Feast of Tabernacles pictures. I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, because he has proclaimed it, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in the midst, in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord. Now, that's something none of the nations know today. They don't know the Lord. They're going to know the Lord through us because we're going to be the teachers and we're going to be the ones to help them. Okay? That's why God has saved the great innumerable multitude. How are you going to deal with those people when the millennium begins? You have to have those who understand the language. Okay? And a nation shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when 
I shall be sanctified in you before their very eyes. And I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all of the countries. They'll be scattered everywhere. Okay? And will gather you into your own land. Now, that doesn't just mean there in the Middle East. Because where did God send all the 12 tribes of Israel? Huh? Are they not nations today, like in Europe, America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand? Are they not going to go back to the, that part of Israel? That's actually Israel in God's eyes. And there will be a lot go back to the Holy Land, and it will be holy then. Today it's anything but holy. Okay? And I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Now then, notice verse 26. Because you have to take away the hostility of the carnal mind, because that was the result of Adam and Eve eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that is passed down genetically to all human beings. So God has to intervene and change that. Notice. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. You have to do that first. Get rid of all the carnality, get rid of all of the sin, and it shows there has to be repentance and forgiveness and a wiping away of sin. Now then, in order for the millennium to work, in order for us to be kings and priests and to bring the truth the way that it has to be brought, God has to do this so that the people will be receptive, that they will want to learn that we're not going to have any more rebellion. We're not going to have any more secret sins. See? Verse 27. They'll be offered salvation. And this will be the first time that it's offered to the whole world. Well, that's going to be something. Can you imagine what the world's going to be like with human beings having a nature that is not vehemently sinful against God, but then having God's Spirit and being converted? Notice. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my ordinances and do them. And they're going to keep all the holy days, right? Doesn't Zechariah 14 say that they're going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles? Yes. And you shall dwell in the land that I, I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Now that's something. And we're going to be there to help cause this to be done. 
That's why we're here doing what we are doing. And this is why we are learning of God's word. And this is why we need to grow in grace and knowledge and understanding in everything that we do. And this is why. So I encourage you, this Feast of Tabernacles, that if you have anything against any one of the other brethren, you go to them and you resolve it. Huh? Because remember this. You can never have true peace with God when you still have hatred or antagonism in your heart. You can't do it. So now's a good time to do it. Heal the breach. Isn't that what we're going to do in the millennium? Well, here at the Feast of Tabernacles, if you have any difficulty with anyone, now's a good time to do it peaceably. And love each other. Okay? Notice. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Ooh. Let's think of that. All the people of the children of Israel. And of course, who's going to be there as well? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? And think about what Abraham's going to be thinking all during this time. The promise that God gave to Abraham is so absolutely overwhelming that it is almost unreal to contemplate it. Okay? And in you, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, that cannot happen unless God's plan is fulfilled as we know it through the Passover and Holy Days. See? Now, think about what this is going to be right here. Look at what he says it's going to be. And I will save you from your uncleanness, and I will call for the grain and will increase it, and I will lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruits of, of the tree and the increase of the field so that you shall never again receive the curse of famine among the nations. Boy, what a promise. But in order for them to receive that, they have to repent. Every single one individually. Okay? And you shall remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good. And shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations they began to understand with the depth of spiritual understanding how great sin is and what abominations really are and how they got carried away with these things. Of course, this is going to be something. Now, as we will see in the last great day, 
this will again be repeated. So we'll read these scriptures again on the last great day and get a glimpse of the magnitude of what that is going to be. Okay? Verse 32. I do not do this for your sake, says the Lord God. Be it known to you. Be ashamed and be confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, in the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities and the waste places shall be rebuilt, and the wasteland shall be tilled, instead of being desolate before all who pass by. And they shall say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, the restoration of all things. Now what is that going to be like? And we are going to be principal, instrumental workers and shepherds of God to make it happen. All right? And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities now are fenced and inhabited, and the nations that are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it. I will do it. Okay? That's going to be something. Now, how great is this going to be? I mean, down deep inside of every human being, it doesn't matter how superficially righteous or how evil that they are. Down deep inside, there's a place there that yearns for what I'm reading, but don't know how to find it. Because they've been cut off from God. So now God is going to change all of that, okay? Verse 37, thus says the Lord God, I will yet be sought by the house of Israel to act for them. I will increase them with men like a flock, as a holy flock, as the, the flock of Jerusalem in her appointed feast. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Those are the most astounding and wonderful words of the Bible that we could ever imagine. Now then, what is it going to be like? All right? Let's come to Isaiah. We'll see some things here in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 2. Now remember this was given... In the 800s B.C. So by the time this is 
being fulfilled, it'll be pretty close to 4,000 years. So you see, this also tells us something else. This tells us how far in advance that God thinks. Because the way we measure time are short little particles of time. The way God measures time is by eons and eons. And remember those beautiful pictures of the James Webb telescope that we showed and that we have online, they're still there, okay? Stars and galaxies, 13 billion light years away. And God made it all. And this helps us to understand why we need to yield to God and do the things the way God wants them done. After all, only he is truly righteous. Okay? Isaiah 2, verse 1, the word of that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw, oh, the word that he saw, interesting. It was probably a picture with words, okay? Concerning Judah and Jerusalem, shall come to pass in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. Yes, above every other nation in the world. We saw how that's going to be in Zechariah 14 that the Mount of Olives is going to raise up and split in two, to the north and to the south. Then we saw in Isaiah, the fourth chapter, a great, beautiful tabernacle. No temple. No, 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 no. No temple, no sacrifice. Tabernacle of God. And whoever is going to be in it, and I'm sure there are going to be those who are of the patriarchs and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the apostles and whoever else is going to be there of the prophets. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel and all of the prophets, Hosea and Joel and Amos and Micah, and so forth, all the way down, to be right there in Jerusalem, the very things that they prophesied of to happen. Okay? And shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. Everybody's going to come to Jerusalem, all the heads of the nations, okay? And many people shall go and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And that's going to be everything we're going to be doing during the millennium, generation after generation after generation. And there, it's going to be multiplying of men and women and boys and girls, and it's going to be a fantastic thing indeed, okay? And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law 
and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Everything from there. Now that's going to be absolutely marvelous. And he shall judge among the nations, and he shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And boy, won't there be a lot of scrap metal after all the wars that take place right at the end. Okay? And their spears into purring shook. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Okay? Kids learn war early, especially today. What do we have? Television, war, fighting, hatred, greed, going right into the minds of our little children while we dilly-dally away and let the television or the smartphone babysit them. You ought to take both of those away from little kids and give them real toys and spend some time with them. Okay. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. And that's what we have to do. Jesus is the light. The word of God is the light. And this is what we need to do. Okay. Now, let's come to Isaiah 61. Because remember, we saw that they're going to build the waste places again. And the cities. Okay. Just think what that's going to be like. Isaiah 61. And here we have the announcement of Jesus in Luke, the fourth chapter, that he was the Savior. First verse is right here, so let's read it all together. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening the prisons to those who are bound. Okay? Now then. That's what Christ did when he was here in his first coming. This is what we are going to do on a mammoth scale when the millennium begins. Okay? To preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to appoint those who mourn in Zion, giving to them beauty for ashes, and the oil of joy for mourning, the mantle of praise for the spirit of heaviness, so that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Okay? That's the mission for the millennium. First thing to do, verse 4. And they will build the old waste, and they will raise up the desolation of former times, and they shall repair the waste cities and the desolations of many generations. That's going to be an absolutely magnificent time to do. Think about that, okay? 
and strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the strangers will be your plowmen and your vine dressers, and you shall be called the priest of the Lord. Now, doesn't that tie in with Revelation 20? That we shall be priests and kings and reign with him a thousand years. There it is right there. It will be said of you, the ministers of our God. You will eat the riches of the Gentiles, and you shall boast in their glory. For your shame you shall have double instead of dishonor. You will rejoice in their portions. Therefore, in their own land they will possess double. Everlasting joy will be theirs. Now, this is the only way that the fulfillment of all people is going to happen. And think about this. God has called us to prepare now to do this when he returns. That is going to be marvelous beyond anything we can imagine. Okay. Verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make an everlasting covenant with them. Now that's something. Okay. You know, just think how long all of these words have been here and how God has hidden this by the way he caused the Bible to be written and put together, and that only those who love God and keep his commandments, his Sabbath and holy days, will understand. So this is why the Feast of Tabernacles is so great. Okay? Now then, let's come to Romans 8. And let's see how the New Testament confirms every bit of this. This is something. Brethren, I hope you really grasp the magnitude of what God is showing us here. Okay? Romans 8. And this is why we keep the Sabbath and Holy Days. Just think where we would be if we didn't do it. Think how much that the poor Protestants don't know. But in their deception, think that they do know. But they don't comprehend. So let's pick it up here, Romans 8 and verse 16. Okay. Let's pick it up here in Romans 8 and verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And that's why we pray every day, study every day, and walk in God's way every day. That we may be the sons of God. 
And it says in first or second Corinthians six, the sons and daughters of the Almighty. Now we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship, whereby we call out, Abba, Father. Yes, indeed. For the spirit itself bears witness conjointly with our own spirit, testifying that we are the children of God. And if we are the children of God, we're also heirs. Now, heirs mean you are going to inherit. Okay? Truly heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer together with him, so that we also may be glorified together with him. So with the things we're going to have to face in the world when we leave here and go back to our own homes and back into the world again, here's what we need to remember, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us, part of our very being. Okay? For the earnest expectation of the creation. Now see how important it is for us? Think of this. The whole creation of God is waiting for the resurrection of the children of God. They don't know it. But God has his time schedule, see. For the earnest expectation of the creation itself is awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. Because the creation was subjected to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope in order that the creation itself might be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the freedom of the glory of God. So that we can bring it out of it. Now let's come to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. And Revelation, I tell you, is really alive today. When you look at it and all the events that are taking place in the world, okay? Revelation 20 and verse 4. And I saw thrones, okay? And they that sat upon them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and for those who did not worship the beast or his image, and did not receive the mark in their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And after that, on into the ages of eternity, out in the universe, wherever God wants us to go, with beauty and with splendor and with living forever and loving God and all the saints and all the people converted and brought in by the plan of God. 
That is going to be the glorious time indeed. See? Okay. Now notice it says here, verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power. For they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so that's what the millennium means. The feast of tabernacles. The great feast of God. For the great harvest. The great influx of those coming into the kingdom of God. And remember, and of the increase of his government, there is no ending going out into the ages of eternity. Amen.